Morning, my friends. Time yet once again to dive into a study in the Word of God. We are in the book of Judges. We have given context many, many mornings here. I will do it yet once again. The book of Genesis tells us about a family that travels down into Egypt. We get to the book of Exodus and we find that somewhere between Genesis and Exodus, this family has multiplied into a couple of million people. They are a nation and they are enslaved to the Egyptians. We all know, we saw the movie, how Moses led them out, God doing great miracles through them. We know about the plagues and we know about the promise that God made to this people. Deuteronomy chapter 31 tells us about this, this covenant with land, a Palestinian covenant, not with Palestinians, with Israel. That he would give them this land, that he would bless them in this land as long as they obeyed his law. Law on how to relate to one another and how to relate to him. And the blessings, I think uh, one of the words of one of the songs we sang, 10,000 more, you know, the blessings. The blessings were numerous, my friend, and the law was not burdensome. They just needed to trust and obey. Two wars in a boat, my friend, trust and obey, for there's no other way, sing it with me, to be happy in Jesus to trust and obey. But the fact of the matter is, Joshua, having been appointed to take Israel into the land, be strong and courageous with those words from God to him. They're now in. And they've lost their oars, my friend. There's no faith. There's no obedience. And where we discover this sin cycle of they're in the land honoring God. They watch what other neighbors are doing. They join them in their sin. God raises up a people to enslave them until they cry out to God who raises up a judge and sets them free. And that, like the wheels on the bus, that cycle went round and round for 330 years. Consider that. For a moment, how long has this country been since its foundation? 330 years of this sin cycle. Well, today, the wheel stops spinning. We come to the end of our study in the book of Judges. So I want to encourage you to turn to Judges chapter 21. If you're a baseball fan, and surely you must be because baseball is very American. You know, like hot dogs and apple pie and Ford. And time I do that, people laugh, you know. I don't know. I like Ford. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, you probably heard about a little, uh, about the uh, suspension of uh, Melky Cabrera. Now, this was in 2012, but it was such an unusual thing. Not, not in the, uh, uh, the uh, rule violation, I mean, he was testing, he found that he was injecting himself with steroids. And it's baseball, it happens, right? Nothing new there. But the, the most unusual thing about this whole experience 
is the attempted cover-up. Once he was found, what's that? It's not him, you're saying? It doesn't matter. It's a baseball player. And back to our story. <laughs> That's one of the benefits of being a small church, friends. We can talk. Yeah, don't forget that. Well, friends, the, the, the po- stop looking at the picture and look at me now. <laughs> the, the, the point is he tried to cover it up. Having apologized right away, he and his teammates got together and created a website that uh, the excuse was, well, he ordered it from them and they made the mistake. It wasn't me. <laughs> you know, and it was so laughable and everybody recognized it right away that the, the first crime became even worse, you know, in baseball anyway. I mean, nobody goes to jail over those sorts of things. But really, he just humiliated himself even more. First, he was known as a cheater and then as a liar. And unfortunately, and we're going to look at this story, just like the, the book of Judges, you, you feel like you need a shower after reading this stuff. You know, it's just some people making foolish decisions one after the other. And you may recall that last week, we, uh, we noticed that uh, there was that horrific event in Gibeah, you know, and the, this concubine, and, and oh, yes, exactly, that face, exactly. It was a big scowl. It was horrific. It was disgusting. Followed up by, let's cut her into pieces, send her to all of Israel, which was a message, by the way. You don't come, the same thing happens to you. And so all of Israel got together, and Israel did what Israel did. They decided they would go to this town. But first, they called on, on Benjamin, this tribe, and said, look at what has happened here. You must do something. But Benjamin was unwilling. And so the rest of the tribes of Israel attacked, and they killed one after the other. First this city, then more and more Benjamites. Still, there are only about 600 men remaining. And how once acting in this regard, we come to chapter 21, they're like, what are we going to do now? We're going to lose a tribe. And take a look with me, if you will. Verse uh, 1, chapter 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah. When they all got together and came up with a plan, first let's find out the truth about what happened. Then we're going to go and talk to Benjamin about this. The men of Israel had also made a vow there. No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to anyone from the tribe of Benjamin. Now you know what this is? This is foolish. This was a foolish thing to do. It was done in a heat of a moment. It was not wisdom. It was certainly not in response to God's leading. This was the wrath of man that never accomplishes the purposes of God. Note that, my friends. The wrath of man never accomplishes the glory of God, the truth of God, the purposes of God. Don't make decisions when you're emotional, one way or the other. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. Bad time to make decisions. 
And they did it. And they swore, we will never give our daughters to these men. It seemed right at the time. But how many times in your life have you been right in the time and wrong in the end? Happens in marriages, relationships with our children. I never should have said that. It was wrong. It was mean. You never should have had to endure that. And so they made the vow. And here we find a problem. Israel now has a problem. They have about wiped out a whole tribe. And they made this vow that none of us shall give our daughters in marriage to Benjamin. And the people, I mean, they almost lost a tribe here. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. I say that and I am reminded of the time where God had told them, rend your hearts and not your clothes. The weeping means one thing, but the action is what matters, my friends. So there they are, weeping bitterly. And they said, oh Lord, the God of Israel. Now they ask him, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? We know the answer, because in your wrath you decided to go to war. You did not go to God and say, what shall we do about this? You simply said, God, we're doing this. How shall we do it? Careful, my friends. Every choice matters. Your life is the summation of your choices. Where you are today is a result of the choices you made yesterday and the day before and years ago. Choose your future carefully. So here is their situation. This tribe is just about extinct. And we know there's only one way to grow a tribe. And they're going to need wives, these 600 men. What are we going to do? So they paced back and forth. What would you do? You might ask God, what shall we do? No, not these people. They're too smart for that. I say that sarcastically, by the way, if you miss that. So the next day, they come up with an idea. Let's find out if there's anyone who didn't take the the oath, you know, so they can give their daughters to these guys. That's the plan. The next day, the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings And the people of Israel said, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come to the assembly of the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, he shall surely be put to death. So it seems that uh, they're on a roll here. Every decision we make means somebody's going to die. And thus was the oath. Anybody that didn't come, oh, they're making all kinds of promises. Anybody doesn't show up, they're dead. What a society they have created for themselves. Hmm. Well, verse 6 tells us, 
the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for the wives of those who are left? Since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give any of them our daughters for wives. And they said, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come to the Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come from the camp of Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. Well, here's an opportunity. Let's go kill them and take their women. And we can give them to these guys. No, seriously, that's what they do. One foolish decision after another. Did you notice we have offerings and all the offerings going up to God? But where's the obedience in this? Where are the prayers? Where are people asking for God's will? Lord, we have messed this up beautifully here. Surely the God of all wisdom can show us what we must do. Not these guys. You know, there was an old saying, you made your bed, I go lay in it. When I was in high school, I, I was a pole vaulter, I've told you that before, and uh, there was a particular track meet that I did not do very well in. You know, for some reason, I was, I was, I'd done this a hundred times and I couldn't clear this particular height. And I was furious and the meet is over and I'm taking off my shoes and I, I just threw my track shoes. And my coach over there watched me do this. And, and he was of the sort that he would walk up and he'd say, you know, Dave, the problem with throwing your sure shoes is now you got to walk over and pick them up. Yeah. You make your bed. You get a lie in it. Choose carefully how you will live, my friends. And so that's what they do. So Jabesh Gilead did not make a vow. And they said, which, what one of the, you know, uh, verse 10 here. So the congregation came to the conclusion, well, dead men don't need wives, so let's go kill them. Look at here, verse 10. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there, obviously not the highest morality, and commanded them, go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword and also the women and the little ones. And this is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has laid with a male, kill those people. But you come across one that's a virgin, Keep that one. I mean, we only want the best for our tribesmen. It is horrific. It is horrific. But isn't this the way sin works? You tell a lie, then you tell another lie to cover your trail, and then another lie. And it just builds. Melky. What an unusual name. I broke the rules, I knew what they were, and I violated them anyway. So now I'm going to try and hide it, cover it up. What is the right thing to do, my friends? What is the right response to our sin? Own it. If you have harmed someone, you go to them and say, 
whatever it is, I spoke harsh words to you. I lied to you. I took something that belonged to you. It was wrong. I harmed you. Will you forgive me? Notice I didn't say, go and say sorry. You know, remember the mom? Go tell him sorry. Sorry. Got caught. Sorry means nothing. When you ask somebody to forgive you, that person now has an option, an ownership. Shall I continue to hold my grudge against you and wish nothing but evil for you? Or shall I let it go? Either one of those is not easy, my friends. Respond carefully if anyone ever comes up to you and says, will you forgive me? It's not an easy thing to do. What they are asking is, is it is in your power now to restore this relationship or to let it go. What will you do? Their response, eh, we can figure it out. Let's go kill those men of Jabesh Gilead and their children and their wives and find some virgins. And they did. Verse 12, and they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. And so they find, found out who didn't make an oath. They went and got wives where they could. Killed a few people along the way. And now they have discovered it's not enough. 600 men, they got 400 women. Verse 13, we find that the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock at Rimmon and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time. And they gave the woman whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead. But they were not enough. And it never is, my friends. Sinning even more to try and cover your sin will never work. The guilt, the shame, the hiding, the anger will just simply grow. Confess it, my friends. Confess it to God. Confess it to the person you've sinned against. And so now they've discovered it's not enough. And now they begin to ask some questions. Verse 15, and the people had compassion on Benjamin. Not so much on the people of Jabesh Gilead, but they had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. The Lord had done this. Interesting. It's really easy to blame God for that. Well, if God wouldn't have made me so strong, I wouldn't have broke his neck. Nothing to do with you putting your hands around him, huh? The elders of the congregation said, and here's the question. What shall we do for wives of those who are left, since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, well, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives, uh, them wives from our daughters. 
You know, for the people of Israel had sworn, Cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. There's a couple of things going on with this. First, apparently that's the word they decided to keep, not their vows to God to obey his commandments. And just the promises and the lines that they drew. It is astounding to me with their willingness to go into a town and just slaughter a bunch of men and children to gather up 400 wives when they didn't just go against it. I'm not recommending it at all, friends. But what a mixed up crowd this is. And thus is the life who does not trust and obey in God. Who does not follow his instruction, the leading of his Holy Spirit. But who decides to do it my way. Well, they asked the right question, friends, what shall we do? But they came up with a wrong answer. So they said, behold, there's a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, <coughs> on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon, uh, Lebona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. And if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in their dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch a wife for yourself. Look at that. That's it. Snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers came to complain to us, we will say to them, well, grant graciously to us, because we did not take each man of them a wife in battle. We didn't do it. They did it. This is almost comical how sad this is. Don't worry about going and stealing a wife for yourself. I mean, they'll come to us and we'll say, we didn't do anything. It was dumb. Such is the life of one who refuses to put their faith in Christ and live obediently to him. Hmm. The people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to the number from the dancers who they carried off. And then they went and returned to their inheritance and built the towns and lived in them. Hmm. Think about how this whole story began by these men grabbing a woman. And here it is ending with a bunch of men grabbing these women as if they are nothing but a prize, nothing but an object. It is a shame. But as we look at this, my friend, it is important to look back on this book and observe some lessons to be learned. The heart of the problem in Israel is they, they never learned their lesson. They never learned their lesson. Again, sin cycle. Hey, guys, we've done this a few times. Maybe we should stop joining our sinful neighbors in their sin, and we won't be taken into captivity and have to cry out to God. Maybe if we lived to honor him, we won't repeat this sin cycle over and over again. But they never learned the lesson. They never did. They never learned their lesson. 
So the people of Israel departed, verse 24 there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance, like nothing had ever happened. Just go home and act like nothing happened. And the fact is, friends, they never obeyed God. They failed to obey God. And repeated yet once again here in verse 25 are these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Well, there was. God is their king. But we are about to see as we move into 1 Samuel that it's time for a king. They're tired of these judges. We want a king just like the other nations. They just never learned. They just never learned. And it's so easy to look back at these people and sneer at them and say, what a bunch of bums they were. But perhaps it would be better to take a look at our own lives and to say, am I, where am I trusting God? Where am I holding on to Him? Even when, when I am tempted to go with others, to do what everyone else is doing, to watch what everyone else is watching, how can it be so bad if everyone is doing it? I mean, what if we looked at the story of your life would it be a familiar story, my friends? Over and over and over again. Sin, regret, guilt, shame, over and over again. We've got to start identifying sin in our lives. Find our weak points. I'll tell you what. The evil one knows it. And he's not to blame for your sin. He is the tempter, my friends. At no time does Satan take your hand to grab something that doesn't belong to you. Or take control of your tongue to speak lies. Just simply offers the menu, my friends. And we keep choosing over and over again. Recognize it. Stop it. I mean, get some victory, my friends. Take it serious. It's just too easy to say, well, everyone's a sinner, so what big, what's the big deal? I mean, Jesus died anyway. Really? Is that the way you would see your own sin? Perhaps you have forgotten the cross. Perhaps you've forgotten the suffering that Christ endured that you might be forgiven of that sin you take so lightly. And finally, the heart of the problem is they trusted in their own understanding. When they took counsel, it was never with the Lord. What shall we do? See, the scripture says in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, friends, we learned this early on in our faith. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will, he will what? Say it. Yeah, make your paths straight, direct your paths. I memorized that one in the King James. Yeah, that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It is good counsel, my friends. And trust in your own vision and what you see. We live in a world today that you can trust nothing that you see. Certainly nothing that you hear. The world has learned too many tricks, my friends, to deceive. So learn the lesson in the book of Judges. Life is a whole lot easier if you do it God's way the first time. I'm not telling you that life is easy in trusting Christ. I mean, I know the story of the Apostle Paul who endured beatings and imprisonment and being shipwrecked and being stoned over and over again for the cause of Christ. But he was able to endure because he trusted the one who sent him. And he knew this. that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will yet be revealed, my friends. He knew the truth. He held on to it. Psalm 23, something we tend to learn early. It's actually a little confusing, if you ask me. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't understand it at all. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, why don't I want him? And I didn't get, it means that if he's your shepherd, you will have no want. You will have everything you need. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? It's not because it isn't there. It's because someone else is there. For thou art with me. Rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yeah. Life is a whole lot easier, my friends, if you do it God's way the first time. So note this, my friends. Life is also easier if you, f if you learn from others' failures. If you learn the lesson of the book of Judges, put your trust in Christ. Obey him going to save you a whole world of hurt. I mean, that was uh, what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 6. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he says, now, pointing to the accounts of the Old Testament, he said, now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Specifically talking about that wandering experience in the wilderness. When people crave food over the provision of God. They despise this miracle of manna day after day. They tighten their fists, stiffen their jaws. Said, we want meat. And do you know what God did? He sent some quail in their direction. Hmm. 
And the scripture tells us they ate it till it came out their nostrils. Yeah. And despised the goodness of God. Do you despise the goodness of God? I hope not. Obedience brings God's blessing. Now, this was the pattern of the Old Testament, but not unfamiliar in the New. I mean, God had made a law with Israel. You obey me, I will bring the rains. I guarantee you, all the rain here this morning had nothing to do with your behavior. But it has everything to do with the plan of God for your life. God uses adversity to shape us. I wonder if you sat on the edge of your bed and say, you know, it's stinky weather out there. Maybe I'll just go back to bed. Little temptations to choose what is right. Hmm. But note this, my friends, disobedience will always bring the discipline of God. And note that word is not punishment. If you have ever been having a particular bad week of epic proportion and have thought to yourself, God must be punishing me because of my sin. No! Your sin was punished at the cross. God has already taken that punishment upon himself. The Son of God died for your sin. And note this, my friends, don't miss this. In all of these crazy, mixed-up judges we met along the way, despicable some of them, it is not the talent of the person, but the power of the Spirit that enables you to serve God. It is not about your talent. It is not about your experience. It is about the Spirit of God working through you. That's why you can go and talk to your neighbor about Christ. It's not because you are so eloquent in your speech. It is not because they will be drawn in by your good spirit. It is because the Spirit of God uses the gospel to open people's eyes, to draw them into a relationship with Christ. But we must be obedient. Obedience, my friend. I mean, why rebel against God? Why? It is a foolish endeavor. The only person it hurts is you and maybe a few people you love along the way. 